0: Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Gurdane Bhutani, co-founder and managing partner of MBX Capital. MBX is an investment firm backing companies creating innovative and sustainable solutions tackling public health's biggest challenges. By focusing on areas traditionally neglected by the venture ecosystem, MBX strives to have a long-lasting impact on human health while driving the best possible returns for investors. In today's episode, we discuss a root cause approach toward human health, environmental factors that are fueling chronic disease, and how MBX has pioneered a framework for using private capital to improve population-level health. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy today's episode. Bigger Gurdane. Thanks so much for joining Healthy Returns.
1: I'm super happy to be on. Uh, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm... Incredibly excited for this conversation. Um, there's not a lot of investors that put their money into the public health space, so really looking forward to you know learning more about what you build at MBX Capital. So, you know, before we dive into a great conversation, um, if you could please share with listeners a little bit about yourself and what you built
1: at MBX. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm based in New York City now. I was born here, but grew up between India and the states. You know, I think I lived in India during a really formative period in life, and uh, you know, saw firsthand you know, some very real health disparities. Right, that we we have many in the U.S., but they expand, um, you know, even deeper globally in many ways. And so, that really framed a lot of my worldview around the opportunity we have to really improve human health, you know, for everyone. in uh, In school, uh, I studied computer science, grad school and epidemiology and, and toxicology. You knew I wanted to build something uh, that could make a dent on human health and decided uh, initially to build a healthcare and life sciences investment marketplace called FundRx. It was a private equity-backed platform. The idea was to create a new mechanism to fund amazing research that was getting spun out of universities, create a new path for founders who wanted to, to build founder-led biotech businesses and, and healthcare companies. We built that over the course of about five years, and then in 2020, my partner and I spun out what was a fun business uh, into MBX Capital. And at MBX, we have a core focus on investing in public health innovation. So when we invest in companies, what we're looking for is the ability to make a deep, long-term, structural, population-level health impact. So we want sustainable solutions that are going to be there for the long haul, that aren't just going to be Band-Aids and, and make incremental improvement. We want, we want stuff that's going to make uh, you know, long-lasting change. And the way we think about where we invest is really oriented around how we can be additional with our dollars. So a lot of venture has become a bunch of firms competing for the same small set of deals. And and our view is that it's, it's frankly more exciting to spend time in areas that might be somewhat neglected by the venture ecosystem today, but help to catalyze and attract capital to those businesses and those areas over the long run. So we think a lot about you know, relative to the disease burden in a particular domain, is this area underfunded or overfunded? and we try to focus on those areas that are you know underfunded on a relative basis because we believe you know that's where we make the biggest impact, but also where we're going to drive the best returns uh, for our for our limited partners and our investors. So that's a little bit about what we do and excited to share more with you and and for this conversation. in
0: preparing for for this episode, I was trying to find other, other venture firms that invest into the similar public health sphere. And MBX is one of three that I found. And even one of that three is just a student run venture firm uh, run out of Penn Medicine in a collaboration with the Wharton School of Business. So you're definitely trailblazing uh, this new idea that, you know, you can put private sector dollars into public health challenges and public health solutions. And you can sort of generate the same uh, or similar level of return. Now, there's not really a model to look towards. There's not really other investment firms that were previously focused on public health. When deciding to start MBX, like who were you looking to for guidance or like how to go about investing in the public health space?
1: You know, I think you've, you've astutely pointed out. There's there's very few firms that have a clear public health mandate. There's a lot of biotech investment firms, a lot of healthcare investment firms, and, and maybe just to take a step back, what, what we mean by public health here, right, is there's of course the sort of layer of things that happen in the doctor's office, right, and happen within the healthcare system. But I think public health is much broader than that. and actually thinks of the things that are upstream of the doctor's office, right? So if you look at our portfolio. We're thinking about things like air quality and water quality, and the things that ultimately will have downstream human health effects. And frankly, are probably not best uh, uh, managed in in the clinical uh, setting, but really have a huge ability to, to to change the healthy lifespan of an individual. Right, and so I think that broader view is something that really defines uh, our approach towards towards public health. You know, another example of this is we think a lot about. You know, exposure to toxic chemicals right and what that does uh, to human health and we can get more into that but but these are things that have historically been neglected by the healthcare ecosystem and you know aren't necessarily things that you can treat with medicine but you want to ideally prevent you know before someone's ever made it to the doctor's office so that's really what we mean by by public health so as we, as we were thinking about you know why this space right it's, it's an area where I have background my, my partner has background and, and you know, of course, the pandemic really catalyzed how important and how big the opportunity is in this category. I think there's increased awareness of you know why public health is important. There's clear awareness that it's chronically underfunded uh, by government. And so I think there's a role for private capital to play. Now that being said, I think there are some domains within public health where it's not appropriate for private capital to be involved. Um so when we think about our our investments, we're really thinking about, at the end of the day, we're competing for financial capital with every other asset class, because our investors can choose where they put their dollars. And we don't sacrifice uh, financial return as part of our strategy, right? So our, our goal is to be a top performing venture fund, irrespective of the fact that we have an impact-oriented strategy, and that's you know been borne out over the prior two funds that we've raised, our first funds in the top five percent of its benchmark, our second funds in the top quartile. So we have that performance data to show that this model is possible and working. But you're right; when we were starting, there was there were there weren't a lot of examples to look to for how you do this uh, effectively in this domain, and so we've had to create a lot of frameworks ourselves to identify. Look, here are the areas that make sense for private capital to be involved. Here are the areas where it doesn't. And then we do a lot of, you know, intense sort of thesis-oriented research to really vet out those areas and make sure that they're appropriate for venture dollars to be deployed in. Yeah, I'd love if you could share more about the
0: aspects of public health that you don't feel like, you know, venture capital can really support. And, you know, I'd have to imagine that those aspects of public health are a lot more reliant on, you know, policy reform or, you know, building up community infrastructure.
1: That's right. Now, I think there's a role companies can play in, in those domains, but we have to be mindful about what's possible. So, you know, I think there are great examples of companies that are unlocking access to programs that help people deal with social determinants of health. Right? Um, companies like Unite Us, for instance, right, do a really great job at helping patients and, and health systems navigate patients to the right sources of non-clinical support. Um, that can make a huge impact on their lives. So it might be a food stamps program, it might be a rent assistance program, you know, Medicaid access, that sort of stuff. But in order for those things to be possible, the government has to create these programs in the first place, right? We can build the technology infrastructure to help navigate people to the right programs, but we do need policy change in order to enable those programs to exist in the first place, for there to be something to actually access. So one one thing that we think a lot about when we're underwriting a potential you know, domain that we'll be investing in is, has the regulatory and policy environment caught up to a place where it's now time for technology innovators to get involved? Um, so so there's this, you know, set of steps that have to happen before it becomes possible to really innovate in a field. So that's, that's one layer. I think the second layer is, um, it's important to be mindful of everyone's incentives, right? At the end of the day, the goal of a company is to produce return for shareholders. Now, that can create conflicts, particularly in a domain that's as important as public health. And so being really mindful when we're looking at a particular domain of, is the company's incentive structure aligned to the ultimate clinical outcomes that we want to see change? Right. So a good example of this is a company that's oriented towards value-based care. And the company makes money when we reduce the total cost of care by improving outcomes. Great, those incentives are generally aligned. There's a lot of nuance to that, but you know, at a high level, that's possible. A counterexample would be a company that you know makes incremental dollars every time they provision care that may be unnecessary, right, um, or care that uh, may have questionable utility. So this is not at all uh, a knock on on all remote patient monitoring companies, I think there are many companies that do remote remote patient monitoring really well, but there were new codes created to remotely monitor patients at homes, in, in homes. And you saw hundreds of companies spin up trying to capture the reimbursement from that. And I would argue that, you know, while there are some that do a great job of this, there are many companies that are sort of just trying to arbitrage, you know, the creation of a new reimbursement code. And I think the incentives are a bit broken there. Right. And so there's not alignment. And so, I think that's another factor that's really important to think through as we're underwriting a particular domain and making sure that everyone's mindful of of ensuring that we're aligned with patient outcomes at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I love how, how you guys are thinking about that, because I would have to imagine that that's also one of the barriers of why um, more in- investors from the private sector are not entering the public health domain, because, you know, on its face, it seems actually pretty difficult to, you know, navigate and kind of balance. Um, on one hand, you're looking at returns and profitability. On the other hand, you're looking at uh, okay, what's the social impact that we're creating? But it seems like over the years, um, you guys at MBX Capital have kind of built that into your investment thesis.
1: Yeah, it's built into our investment process, right? So as as we're identifying a new area, you know, these are these are the set of conditions that must be true for us to go and invest in the space. And if they're not true, we we'll just move on and don't invest in that particular category.
0: Let's say there's a potential company that, you know, MBX is looking to invest in. Um, talk me through what kind of metrics you're looking at, specifically uh, tailored towards the social impact side, because every firm, you know, evaluates company differently in terms of potential return and profitability. But from a public health perspective, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one great unifying uh, quantitative metric that we can use across companies is the impact on quality-adjusted life years, and specifically the probability-adjusted uh, expected impact on quality-adjusted life years. So, as you probably know, uh, this me- this measure qualies is widely used in clinical literature and healthcare literature as a measure of the health impact of a particular program. And what we try to do when we underwrite a particular investment, if, particularly if we're weighing between many investments, right? All else being equal, we're going to lean towards doing the investments that have the highest potential to make a dent uh, uh, from a quality standpoint. So that's an analysis that we can do uh, uh, every time we're underwriting a deal. So that's that's sort of the quantitative measure. Now, from a qualitative standpoint, I think this goes back to the, the, the comment I made earlier around additionality. We, we want to make sure we're being catalytic with our capital. right? So So we don't want to be in the business of just competing with other financial investors to Win a deal that's already going to get funded. Our, our view is there's a great company going to make a great impact, and they already have all the capital available. Awesome! Like get them off to the races. Uh, let, let's 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 all root for them and see them succeed. But we want to make sure that we're finding those areas that we can really make a dent with the additional capital that we're deploying into that area or into that business, and 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 catalyze an opportunity that might not have otherwise uh, existed. So that's uh, something that we think deeply about. As an investment firm, do you guys tend to look at a lot of
0: social enterprise companies then, who are trying to operate and trying to build in those spaces
1: that are historically neglected? So, I'm a little reticent to like use use that term because I think it's a loaded term. I think there are. It's not to say it's you know good or bad independently. I, I think. The, the way we think about it is every company, every, every action that we take, right, has an impact on the rest of society. And whether you market your company as a social enterprise or not, uh, you're going to have some kind of impact. And so we just try to be very clear and very honest with ourselves and with entrepreneurs about what we foresee that impact to be and, and really weigh that consistent with our objective as a firm. Which is to produce great returns for our investors and drive real population level health impact. Those two things have to be true. We can't sacrifice one or the other. Uh, Otherwise, our models are not sustainable. You know, I would say part of the reason why we're focused on these neglected areas is also financial. And and the reason for this is if you're in the business of just competing with other funds to to get into the same deal, you're going to end up paying prices to get into that. Uh, opportunity that will dilute your ultimate returns. Whereas if you focus on areas that are neglected, but you believe have massive opportunity and you can see that early, then you can make a contrarian investment that ultimately drives much stronger returns than if you were making a consensus investment that uh, might have somewhat diluted returns relative to the valuations that you're paying. And so the reason we focus on those neglected areas is both impact oriented, but also you know, part of the sustainability of our model and producing great returns for our investors.
0: Now, you said you're based in uh, New York. I've tended to look uh, look at New York as kind of the, the model for uh, how to, you know, both launch and handle public health initiatives. So um, the most recent one being the Healthy NYC Initiative, which I really love pointing to because the health commissioner um, and various other public health agencies and experts have set this goal that by 2030. Lifespan and life expectancy should be increasing uh, among the population in in New York City, not decreasing, which yep. has been happening the last uh, you know year to two years. And in order to address that, they're looking at chronic disease, screenable cancers, mental health, COVID nineteen, homicide rates, and maternal mortality. So, are any of those that I just mentioned is that something that you, MBX maybe have has an investment thesis on? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Actually, every single one of those areas. Uh You know, I think there's an immense number of really dedicated public health professionals in New York and, um, you know, really, really proud to know many of them and and see the great work that they do. I think the challenge uh, remains that any individual organization, even one of the largest public health departments in the country, can't do it alone, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Every one of the things that you just mentioned requires a concerted effort from a variety of different organizations in order to make a real dent. So we can say we want to reduce the homicide rate, but a public health agency can't do that independently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the police department certainly can't do that independently either, right? We have to think about the root causes of each of these issues if you really want to, you know, bend the curve. Mm -hmm. And the root causes of any, any of those particular issues may be things that, you know, you can't treat in the doctor's office, right? They may be things that are massively upstream of that. And and so I think one of the things that we try to really integrate into our process and our approach is getting to the root cause of a particular problem and trying to work on that, recognizing that it might take longer to see the returns from that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you if you're successful, you can make long-term structural change um, rather than sort of saying, all right, in three years, you want to have the homicide rate be 2% lower. That's a marvelous goal. But the way you may go about doing that may be something that is a Band-Aid oriented solution. Whereas if you take the 10 year view or 20 year view and you get at the root cause of, you know, why people are committing, uh, you know, crimes, maybe you have an opportunity to to, uh, make a larger impact, you know, in the end. And so I think that's an important frame of mind to be in when, when looking at opportunities in the space. What if the root cause is systemic in nature? Like then, then do you guys
0: say then, okay, like, you know, we still need to see a lot more policy reform and
1: community building before as a VC, like we step in. Yeah. And I think the role that we need to play is an advocate in that situation, Mm -hmm. right? We can, we can invest, you know, as much money as we want, but if if the regulatory conditions are not right and the policy conditions are not right, it's not going to do anything. And so step one is advocacy. And, you know, my partner's based in Washington, D.C., we spend a lot of time doing that and advocating for the types of changes that we we want to see uh, across a variety of different domains in public health. And if, you know, if we have to start there, we start there. Right. Um, but we also have to be mindful stewards of the capital that we're deploying and deploy it when we can make a dent rather than um, you know, deploying it in a moment where we can. not Let's look
0: at some of the U.S.'s uh, most pressing public health challenges right now, Um two that come to mind are, you know, chronic disease and more specifically rising rates of obesity. And then the other one that I think is just as if not more pressing is loneliness and isolation crisis that has been, you know, accelerated by the pandemic, but there's no surprise in, in this digital age that we live in where, you know, everyone's on social media, everyone's behind their phones, but the face-to-face, the in-person interactions are, are dwindling by by the year. So. I know that uh, you know MBX recently invested in a company called Forum, and I'd love if you could talk more about the work they're
1: doing. Yeah, absolutely. We we love the work Forum's doing. So, you know, I think you you've called out a key issue, right? Which is a lot of people are yearning for deep connection, right? And it's very difficult to access in you know the 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 way the world is changing, right? It's easy to see a reel on you know whatever topic or a TikTok on a particular topic, but Getting real deep human connection with peers that understand what you're going through is is really hard to do. And so, what Forum is doing is they're building a marketplace for peer support groups to help people deal with some of life's biggest challenges. So, these are issues like grief, the loss of a child or a loved one, career challenges, divorce, things that millions of people go through, but often uh, find it very difficult to find peers that understand exactly their experience. They're out there. But they're hard to find, and so what forum enables is for facilitators that have a shared life experience with people that are in these specific communities to build peer groups that meet, you know, typically once a week or a couple times a month, and you get together and you, you share perspective on a particular experience and what you're going through. It's different than conventional therapy, right? Which is often one-on-one or even in group therapy, because it's much more oriented around a specific challenge but there's clear literature that shows the immense power of peer support and the ability to combat both loneliness and isolation, but also to really help people process a particular challenge effectively. That gives us a ton of conviction that what they're building is going to make a real impact on, on a lot of people's lives.
0: And now touching on that second part, um, you know, the other public health, it's called a crisis is obesity in this country. Um, could you talk about if there's a portfolio company that is trying to tackle that issue, or if not um, some prospective companies or even regions of, of the U S which you think are doing a good job innovating in this space.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's hard to talk about obesity these days without talking about GLP ones on the one hand I'm incredibly impressed by the clinical data that we've seen uh, from these new medicines in the space on the other hand, if you look at the protocols from the clinical studies that were run, there's an immense amount of wraparound support whilst people are on these drugs that may be diet related, it might be fitness related. Um, so drugs alone, you know, I, I think will have some impact, but drugs plus all of the wraparound uh, care that's really needed to make it to end, I think then you'll start to really replicate the clinical outcomes we saw in the studies that were done. So I think the opportunity in obesity is to build the infrastructure that unlocks that. It's not easy to provide all of that support. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's relatively easy for a physician to write a script for, uh, you know, Monjaro or 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 Wagovi. It's hard to then, you know, coach that patient, uh, monitor their progress, um, get them into a healthy fitness routine, support them with their nutrition and their diet. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And so creating the infrastructure for physicians and healthcare providers broadly to be able to unlock that set of wraparound care uh, for for individuals, I think, is a huge opportunity. It can really accelerate the power of what we can do with these new medicines. You know, that being said, this approach is fundamentally reactive, right, mm-hmm. uh, in nature, rather than preventive in nature. And I think we have, a, everyone has an intuitive understanding of, of you know, some of the reasons why we have increased rates of obesity, particularly around diet. I think another layer that is perhaps less well understood, but I have uh, a strong belief there's there's a role, is broadly endocrine dis- disruption uh, as a result of chemical exposure. So yes, one vector of that exposure might be through diet, but it may also be through air pollution. It may also be uh, through uh, water contamination. It could also be from increased stress as a result of noise pollution. You know, it could be from radon exposure, right? There's a number of different environmental factors that can all ultimately drive, you know, metabolic dysfunction, endocrine disruption in, in the body that I think have a role to play, you know, in increasing rates of obesity. If just to give you an example here, right, in, in, in uh, cardiac disease, right? We know now that approximately one in 20 heart attacks in, in the United States is actually attributable entirely to noise pollution. That's just noise, right? So if you think about uh, the set of conditions that could ultimately impact these metabolic diseases that we're overlooking now, I think it's immense. And so I think there's a big opportunity there.
0: I want to touch back on uh, discussing a little bit more about the social determinants of health. I know you briefly discussed on how you've kind of integrated them into your investment thesis, but you know, two specifically uh, that I wanted to just get your opinion on and kind of where you see um, the most potential for innovation. And one of them is food insecurity, and then the other one is education.
1: Yep. So these are both domains where we have not yet made an investment. I would love to. Uh, find a way to, to to support entrepreneurs in the space. Um, you know, I think in in education, unfortunately, I think we are still in a policy environment that is challenging uh, for companies to emerge that can make uh, a scaled impact uh, in, in the category. With respect to food insecurity, sort of th- there are a number of companies that are focused on, helping people access healthy food, right? That might be helping navigate Medicaid patients to enrollment in food assistance programs. Uh, it, it might be uh, low cost, you know, food delivery uh, and, and sort of dealing with food desert related issues and so forth. You know, I think part of the challenge in that space independently is that uh, it's very operationally intensive uh, to execute these programs and Unfortunately, I think that that may mean that while there are companies and community-based organizations that do an amazing job of this locally within their own communities and understand the specific needs of those communities, it may be an area that's challenging for a private company to to make a dent in, right? Because so much of that is building trust in specific local community, having people know you're the place they can go to get support in that area. Um... And that's great. We should, we should publicly fund those community-based supports. It just may not be an area where, where private innovation is, is necessarily you know, re- ready to go or where it can make the same impact as, as just being laser-focused on supporting our existing community organizations.
0: Given the complexity of all of these different public health issues that you know, you're trying to tackle and you have developed investment theses on and that you're looking to you know, fund with your private dollars, Talk us through that process of almost becoming like a s- subject matter expert on these different spaces because you know in my opinion, I feel like with how complex a lot of these public health issues are, like you always need to be a subject matter expert
1: yeah, so I think I think the job of an investor is to build a meta framework to understand what issues really matter mm-hmm. um, and establish the principles for decisioning around the impact you can make in a particular domain. That's what a good investor should do. I think it's important to have a level of subject subject matter expertise, right? Which we've invested a huge amount of time in um, as a partnership for ourselves. But at the end of the day, as you pointed out, given how complex each of these domains is, it's impossible to do it alone. And so our approach is to collaborate with an immense number of subject matter experts Whenever we research a new investment theme and whenever we invest in a new space, the way that we do that is we've built uh, within the firm a network of over 800 domain experts that are leading physicians, scientists, key opinion leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, uh, folks that really know the ins and outs of their specific domain. they right? has been a lifetime working on specific problems uh, where they can make an impact. So if I'm looking, for instance, at a company that's bringing the cost of vaccine manufacturing down um, or increasing quality in vaccine production, you know, the way that we approach that is we don't try to learn everything about vaccine manufacturing ourselves, right? That would take, you know, a PhD's worth of time. Instead, we'll go find the four or five people that have spent their careers working in, you know, vaccine manufacturing and biomanufacturing and really getting into the weeds of the opportunity with them and engaging with those individuals as we're underwriting a potential investment. So we, we attempt to deeply integrate experts into our investment process, you know, rather than, you know, attempt to say that we know everything about all these domains because it would just be impossible to do. It's so incredibly
0: impressive how MBX has positioned itself um, within the public health space as well as the venture ecosystem. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that you guys are kind of trailblazing this new idea and this new way of investing. And I just like to harp on that again, because again, like it was mind-boggling to me that, you know, I looked up just public health, venture capital in Google. It was just a a plain search and it was MBX and just two other firms. There's a lot more potential for, you know, a lot of, a lot more investors from the private sector to get involved. I think um, that's totally right. I hope we
1: have many, many competitors and peers uh, over the years. Uh, and uh you know, I, I want to see more and more folks come into this space because I think there's there's tons and tons of opportunity.
0: I guess you guys are the model now, right? There was no model to look to when first building MBX, but now now you guys are the model and um, how you can fit as kind of this this puzzle piece into the massive jigsaw that is that is public health. Um, so I really, really want to thank you for your time here. Um, if people would like to follow your work, your portfolio companies and just what MBX is up to and what you guys are building. Um, how can they do so?
1: Yeah. You know, Best way to follow the portfolio is at our website, mbxcapital.com. Uh, feel free to, to follow, uh, you know, myself and my partner on LinkedIn as well. We, we share a bunch of content there um, and Nolan, thank you so much for the opportunity and the time. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions and uh, thanks so much for helping us get the word out. Absolutely. Thanks so much. For that.